Welcome to the Financial Advisor Success Podcast, where you go behind the scenes with financial planner, speaker, and consultant Michael Kitsis to hear stories of how leading financial advisors navigated the inevitable challenges that arise on the path to success and get insight from leading industry consultants about how to break through to the next level in your advisory business. And now here's your host, Michael Kitsis. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the 321st episode of the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. My guest on today's podcast is Dan Cheen Fan. Dan Cheen is the lead advisor for Austin Asset, an independent RA based in Austin, Texas, that oversees more than $1.3 billion in assets under management for nearly 400 client households. What's unique about Dan Chin, though, is how she planned and executed a very intentional career path in the financial service industry that involved her leaving her homeland China, embracing a new language and culture in the United States while achieving her master's in financial planning, and proactively creating opportunities for herself by getting involved with industry associations and networking her way towards advancing her career. In this episode, we talk in depth about how after a few mentors in China suggested that Dan Shin look into private banking and wealth management as they felt it better suited her than her initial accounting major, she began Googling potential career paths in China, but instead came across the CFP board's website and immediately connected with a description of a CFP professional. How Dan Shin realized that to get her CFP mark, she would need to leave China and pursue her education at an accredited institution in the U.S., but saw it as an opportunity to satisfy her desire to explore other cities and different cultures and to follow a clear career path, as in China, career paths and finance are much more ambiguous. And how Dan Shin ultimately navigated the complexities of relocating to another country and acclimating to a new culture and language so that she could take advantage of the better opportunities to marry together her love of math and talking to people to become a financial planner. We also talk about how to maximize her time and the number of opportunities she could gain in her career and education in the U.S., Danjin created a plan that worked backwards from her ultimate goal of becoming a lead financial advisor and was intentional about everything from the school she selected to the internships she took to eventually achieve that goal. How Danjin proactively looked for opportunities to network, attend industry conferences, and be involved in local chapters of industry organizations so that she could increase her probability of making connections with the right people in the industry to find better jobs and one that would be willing to sponsor her work visa, and how even though Danchin was already somewhat familiar with the English language, she took advantage of every chance to immerse herself in American culture and better her English with the intention that she could improve her relatability and communication and give her greater success with future clients. And be certain to listen to the end, where Danchin shares how surprised she was that despite feeling like she needed to blend into American culture, it was embracing her authentic self that allowed her to truly connect and cross cultural barriers with clients. Why, even though Danchin admits that she would have benefited from more confidence earlier in her career journey, she's appreciative for the experiences she gained as without them, she wouldn't have attained the knowledge she has and gotten to where she ultimately is in her life and her career. And why Danchin feels it's important for younger, newer advisors to get clear on their vision of where they see themselves in the future so that they can figure out what they can control between here and there and work backwards to find the next step forward. And so with that introduction, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Financial Advisor Success Podcast with Dan Shin Fan. Welcome, Dan Shin Fan, to the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. Thank you, Michael. I'm very excited to be here. I'm I'm really looking forward to today's discussion and and I, I think what will be an interesting conversation around the like the the ways that our 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 culture and our background kind of intersect 
being a financial advisor and 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 what we do as financial advisors uh and and just like how we live our lives and build our careers and and work with clients uh you know if i feel like there's sort of a a phenomenon sometimes in the in the advisor world that you know we're we're a little homogeneous in the in kind of the group and the composition uh you know advisors are very disproportionately men or very disproportionately white or very disproportionately in their well just or demographically from their late 40s until the early 60s uh that that's kind of where the the bulk are and you know that on the one hand just that creates challenges for anybody that comes to the advisor industry from from any kind of different different background uh both in kind of relating to and navigating into the industry and then just even what it's like to show up with clients where you know if you don't look like that you don't look like the quote unquote typical advisor and and I know you've lived some really interesting versions of what to me are just navigating culture changes both uh, emigrating to the US from from having been born and grown up in in another country and then even just how culture changes within the US right certain certain states and metropolitan areas are very very different than other parts of the country uh and and so I think I'm I'm just excited to talk about like what what it looks like is you get into the intersections of the the cultures that we're from and the cultures that we live in and how that shows up when you're trying to navigate a career as a financial advisor and 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 build and grow yourself. Yeah, I know. It is very interesting now, uh, looking back as you summarize this, some of my uh, journeys. Uh, and, and I have to say that for sure, I did live a very interesting life and it's still going on very interestingly. And I think that was the main reason I chose this path to to immigrant to this country all by myself. So can you just give us, a, I guess, just, let's just say kind of context for the journey overall, but uh, I guess it's like, how, how did you end out in a world where, you know, you, you immigrated from China to the U.S. to like study financial planning and go into wealth management? So I think I can probably start from the background that I grew up with, which was a very small coastal town in China near Shanghai. And when I say small, we still had about 2 million population okay. <laughs> a few years ago. And uh, I guess right. Relative to a billion plus people in China, that's actually not, exactly. a, not a big city. Relative to the U.S., that's actually not quite a large all. city. Okay. Not at all. We actually are living on the countryside, actually. And I went to a few different cities in China. The first city I went to is called Nanjing. And that was where I my parents were living when I was the time to enroll for my elementary school. Before I went to that city to live with my parents, I was actually living with my grandparents in my hometown. And so that experience started from the get-go, just kind of shaped the path I'm going to take in the future and how it influenced me to be very independent as early as, as I could be. And from there, I went on to a bigger city called Shanghai. I just really got excited from all the different cultures and people from different parts of the world because Shanghai is really very international. And 
And it just got me so interested in 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 different cultures. So how like how old are you at 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 this point? Like where 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 is this in just career life journey? And so when I was in Shanghai, I was there for four years, and that was the time I attended uh, my college education there. Okay. And so age wise, I was between eighteen to twenty two. Okay. Okay. So and and so what were you what were your college studies in like what was your degree in I was studying accounting accounting okay. slash financial management but when when I graduated from high school some of you may know that in China there was this notorious college entrance exam that it was pretty much 90% of the fact that it's going to determine which university you are going to go to and if you are going to be able to go to universities. Okay. And and after that exam, part of it is to fill out your preferred choices of universities based on how well you think you did. Okay. Uh, of course, it's going to be ranked by uh, all your peers that that took the test with you for that same year. And, and because there's always just limited seats in every university. And so it's always ranking and a competition when, when you live in a country that has over a billion people. And at that time I wanted to study psychology because I just really, you know, am interested, still am very interested in psychology. And my parents were also very practical Mm-hmm. And they were concerned about my career path if I as if a, I, <laughs> as a yeah. psychology major or liberal arts graduate, I I can yeah. can attest to, to your parents' advice that yeah, it was a neat thing to study, but I, I guess indirectly financial planning touches on it a little bit. But yeah, I I didn't land in a career anywhere near that major. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, so then I was looking at my other options. And so I ended up thinking maybe business is, is the way to go. I don't know exactly what I want to do, but business seems to have a lot of jobs. <laughs> and so I chose business. And then once I chose business category, I started looking at the finance, the accounting, and the econ- economics major. At that time, I just realized Accounting probably is something more well known of from my situation back then, from my knowledge about what what are these subjects could lead to, and so I end up choosing accounting major uh, with a focus on financial management of companies. Okay, and and so this was uh, which I guess it sounds like this was primarily just a like practical career expediency decision yeah. more than anything else. I mean, did you have any interest in <laughs> any actual interest in uh, accounting or numbers or finances or any of or, or any of that or this was just a like ca- careers that will probably have job opportunities kind of and, decision. Yes, that was the primary motivation because okay. I wanted to maximize my opportunity to stay in bigger cities. Because I didn't want to go back to my hometown, okay, and and therefore that was a very practical solution for trying to go for what I want in life. And the other reason I chose that is also because 
in high school, we started to separate subjects. So I was already in math and science category instead of being in the literature and uh, uh, arts category. And so I always knew I'm very good with numbers. Math class was easy for me. And I was also very good with English classes as well because I just really love the language of English since I was a very young child. And that seems to be a great combination Mm-hmm. to to go for and and so business in a bigger city with a lot of influence from english speaking countries and accounting seems to be like the bones of business because you needed to understand a company very well by knowing how the accounting works and so i thought maybe i would start from there so you go through that process, you you get your accounting degree. So then what what happens next? Like now you've you've graduated, because in theory t- time to find an accounting job in a big city. So I started doing internships with accounting firms the third year, which you would call it junior in college, right? Okay. Junior year. And I think I started even very early, like a sophomore when I was in sophomore year. Okay. I started going to network and trying to get internships from accounting firms. And if not, then maybe HR department, anything that would get me a job, uh, hopefully, you know, more likely. And so, so I tried different departments with different companies and I realized, oh, I, I, I don't really see myself <laughs> You know, sitting behind this cubicle all day long, and and yes, I'm good with numbers, but I can't just stare at my computer screen and 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 breeze numbers all day long. So I felt, oh, this is not going to be fun. So what, <laughs> what what can I do? And luckily, because I was uh, networking a lot, uh, trying to find a job or find an internship. And didn't know that some of the uh, mentors I spoke with in the past for different reasons actually came, actually became very helpful in directing some directions for me at that moment in my junior year. And one of them had told me, so based on my knowledge about you, I think you might want to look into private banking or wealth management. Uh, you're okay. going to love that because it does have a lot of people interactions that you enjoy doing, but it also will be a good career to have because you are also good with numbers and you have the technical side of it. Mm. And so so I got so excited. I just did, ev- you know, everybody every- did exactly what everybody else would do. I started Googling. Okay. <laughs> And the next thing you know is the CFP board website popped up on the first page of my Google search. And I was like, oh, what is that? I only knew CPA certification at that time because of majoring right. accounting. Yep. And so I, I clicked on it. And at that time, I didn't know why, but the Great China Wall <laughs> is not there yet. So there was no blockage of certain foreign websites. And uh, so I was able to click 
the CFP website and looked around and I was so excited because I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds like exactly what I want to do. And I was so pumped. I'm ready to get that certification. I'm good at taking tests. All right. Not until I read all the requirements and one piece is education. It got me thinking, oh, apparently my school is not a registered program with this certification. And do they even have CFPs in China? So then I started Googling CFPs Mm -hmm. in China. And there wasn't really anything I found back then. And so that brought me to another question. Oh, so it's it's something not in this country, but it's fine. I always wanted to live in a different country anyway since high school. Maybe it's a great time to combine both goals, my personal goals of having a different country experience, but also my career goals to, to get into that wealth management and private banking space. So isn't there just some other career path that you follow to do private banking and wealth management in China that you could do that doesn't involve like crossing an ocean for the CFP marks? Like what what was pulling you the CFP marks versus just trying to figure out, well, let me find out whatever the thing is that I need to do this where I am in China and I'll I'll get that whatever it is, whatever that license or designation is. So I at that time there was not any clearly defined career path into private banking and wealth management. It was something that just very secretive and not a lot of information available. And even when I was trying to talk to my mentors who pointed me to that direction, he told me that this is still a very new thing in China. Okay. Interesting. So as as large as China is just by like sheer numbers and quantity of uh, of people, it did not actually have a very deep uh, wealth management marketplace with firms and career opportunities. Yes, especially back in 2010. And when I, that was the year I graduated from college. So when I was searching all these things, so it was like sometime between 2008 and 2009. Okay. And back in 2008, we knew what happened in this country. Right. And uh, there was this ripple effect that in China, the stock market also tanked. And that was also a factor prompted me to be so fascinated with that wealth management industry as well. And because of the secrecy of that business, and, and I just figured, okay, maybe there was not a way that I know how I can get to from an academic perspective. Like I graduated from college and maybe I can start somewhere. And then I know after a few years, I'll get into that space. I wasn't seeing a clearly defined career path based on my research. So I, so I thought, okay, maybe I should look at different options. And, and the more I read about CFPs on the CFP website, the more clear it showed me that, oh, in other countries, they do have a very uh, defined path compared to what I am trying to figure out here. So I don't have to worry about how to get into that space as long as I follow that certification path. Get the education from a registered program from their website and pass the exam and get the experience you need, you're required to have to get the certification. 
and get certified. Voila, you are in the business already. So I'm like, okay, I'll do that. So that's how it directed me to here. Yeah. Well, I'm struck by that in part. It's again, just different worlds and perspectives. I feel like there's a lot of advisors here that like are negative and complain about the state of career paths and financial planning now and probably more so 10 years ago, but but throughout that like it's not clear what firms you go to and it's not really clear how you uh like how you grow and how you move up and you know different firms have different standards about what it takes to be a lead advisor and what it takes to become a partner and so i'm fascinated from your perspective to say oh no compared to china like <laughs> you all have an amazingly career clear career path like there's a certification it's got a body of knowledge you can study it you can pass the exam you get the experience and then you've got a certification then you can go find opportunities yeah, and there was also a very important detail I just remembered and I felt like I wanted to share is that during my research, I also stumbled into the Ameriprise website. Okay. And based on the description of an Ameriprise advisor, I just felt like, oh my God, that's exactly what I'm looking for. I can totally see myself being one of those Ameriprise financial okay. advisors. At that time, I may not know exactly how the path might figure out. What's the difference of fee-only, fee-based? Like none of that. But, but interestingly enough, those information pieces that I found via Google put together, was able to allow me to put together a vision that I see myself heading to. And then I just did it. So so what came next in terms of like the actual go go and did it part? So you, you, you finish your accounting degree, you realize you don't want to do accounting, and there's no really, really no particular career path into wealth management or private banking in China. You found the CFP marks and the, this world of wealth management in the U.S., but you're in Shanghai. So, like, <laughs> what what comes next? As like 22 year old recent college graduate, you trying to figure out where to go. As I reflect about my experiences, I realize that I'm a very methodical person. I I don't just jump into something without really doing a lot of research so I can feel comfortable knowing what I'm getting into. And so when I found out that it looks like I may need to go to a different country, even though I kind of think it would be a very cool thing to do, but I needed to, you know, be prepared for it. So to get to know what I'm getting into. And so when I decided that I would choose United States to pursue this designation and to pursue this career, I asked myself, maybe I should take a look at this country and maybe go there for a summer to see if I really see myself there. Okay. And so the summer before my senior year, we had the exchange program um, that was allowing me to travel and also work part-time in some of the jobs that they had contracted with, like those seasonal workers. Okay. Uh, and I was, I chose that also because I wanted to make sure financially I'm not in the deep hole because of the currency exchange rate back then. Right. 
it would be a, a small fortune that would cost my parents, and I didn't want to do that. So, so when I found out this part-time summer work program and travel program together, I was very excited. So I signed it up, and I was a, supposed to go become one of those cashiers in the Yellowstone National Park and have a great time. But I signed up for too late. And so I, I, I worked really hard trying to convince them to still include me in the program. And so they were able to match me to a summer job in a sonic chain restaurant in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. <laughs> so you're like, I just want to check out the U.S. for a bit and see what it's like. Your like your formative experience for that was being a cashier at a Sonic in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Yeah, actually, the position is called car hopper. <laughs> Excellent, <laughs> got it. <laughs> and without knowing what I was getting into, but it checked the boxes of what I was looking for. First, it's not a huge financially bur- financial burden for my parents. Second, I get to come to this country and travel. And third, I get to really understand, you know, if I see myself living here or not, so have the opportunity to test run it. And I just went with it. I said, great. <laughs> Checked out the boxes. Go. And I really loved it. And I also learned... <laughs> different accents mm-hmm. when I when I was trying to do my best to take the orders and then had to act fast on the ordering machine memorize different components and then go off to make the drinks waiting for the food to be getting ready and then I had to fight for getting the order delivered out because that's the only time you you got tips so if right. you if you remain in the kitchen you don't get tips and then I also applied for an ambassador program in with uh, that was created uh, within that company that organized everything for this internet bring international students into the summer work and the travel pro- program. So I was able to be selected and represent my country to fly into Austin, Texas for about a week and and of course I had a great experience in Austin literally the best experience from my whole summer and I just fell in love with Austin I was like oh I can see myself coming back here and do my master's degree in education and live here Oh, I love the people here. I love the breakfast taco on the street. Awesome. And the hospitality of people here. Oh, wow. Really great. And and when I was looking at schools on the CFP registered um, program list, I, I, I paid special attention to Texas. Okay. <laughs> Thinking Austin equals Texas. Okay. And I had a great experience in Austin. I must will have a great experience in Texas. And so so I didn't know what I was getting into. And so I chose Lubbock. Didn't know that it would be very different, but it's still in Texas. And so so then I so, decided so you, had, okay. you had a good experience with the visit to the US. I want to do financial planning. I'm comfortable that 
like this transition in the US will work well. So so you started looking for Texas-based CFP programs and found your way to Texas Tech. Yeah. And then the other two programs I was applying for is Bentley College in Waltham, Massachusetts, yep. and Golden Gate in San Francisco. And okay. so between Boston, San Francisco, and Lubbock, Texas, I chose Lubbock, Texas. During the recruiting process, I had requested to interview the, all the program directors from the schools I applied for, and only Texas Tech responded with warmth. And I remember hmm. the professor back then who was in charge with the recruiting, he told me, typically, we don't need to do that, but we are happy to you know, chat with you. We understand you're coming from a different country. You want to make sure you are making the right decision. And so we really had a great conversation. And in the end, I was so touched by his comment mm. saying, tell your parents, we will take great care of you. And mm. that was the moment decision was made. No more questions, no more debates, even though the other two schools offered me a lot of scholarships. And, and I just felt, oh, wow, this, this will be the choice. And so I just went along with my gut feeling. And so, and so at this point, this is into... Because you had your undergrad, so I guess this is like the master's in financial planning program at Texas Tech. And the reason for that is that I had to have some narrative to convince my parents to pay for so much <laughs> to, to go study abroad. Because if I just say, oh, I'm getting a certificate program because I wanted to get mm, on this certification, right. They probably wouldn't be very convinced. And so so I kind of had to work on that end as well. Oh, hey, I'm getting a master's degree. And then they were like, okay. <laughs> can't, can't get that for air quotes, just a certificate program. Like I'm getting my master's in the US. That sounds great. Exactly. So so then what is that transition like when just you go from China, from Shanghai to Lubbock, Texas, which just is a well, very different. What is a small town uh, uh, unto itself? I mean, you know, you said, um, uh, you know, your your hometown was a small town of only two million people. I don't know exactly what Lubbock size is, but I think that like that's like two hundred thousand. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, so you're at a whole other level of small town. Having said, part of the thing that you'd enjoyed was wanting to be in large towns. So different country, different city different size. So what what was it like when you got to Lubbock? I I knew it would be different and because I prepared for it. And so I wasn't really shocked at all. Okay. And I was literally just seeing the differences that I had anticipated that would come through in my daily life. Like going to the classes and uh, having all uh, American friends, because at that time in our program, there were very few international students. And in that semester particular that I was enrolled in, into, there was no other international student from China, but there were a few from Mexico and other countries. And so, so still a minority in the program as well. And, and, and I knew that I had to quickly adapt to that difference, even though I anticipated the difference, but still there was this process of 
trying to make sure I I make good friends here, choose wisely who to do the project group project with because I'm here to making sure my grades are all great so I can get a job. <laughs> and so sometimes I I may be very ignorant <laughs> at the beginning coming into this culture. That also kind of give me the freedom to to find out who I am really and what I value. And I really enjoy that. When I was in China, I grew up from that culture. So I knew I can read people's mind. I knew what people are expecting out of me, like those social cues, social norms that are pre-programmed. Mm-hmm. But when I'm when I went to Lubbock, it it, it that was gone. Like I was thrown into this new water mm. and I had no pre-study about the the waves and the current there. And so I started to ask myself, okay, so then what can I base off? Oh, maybe that's the time to base off everything that's about me. And so so I started just trying to really be myself and then used mm. that as a way to filter filter out who I want to make friends with and what classes I wanted to take, where it may lead to, and what what work I need to do in addition. So the whole dynamic of being in a a world that was so completely different culturally meant everything you learned about how you're supposed to interact with other people is just different, right? It's, just, it's different in different cultures, just all the social norms and expectations or many of the social norms and expectations are different. And so from your end, because you couldn't use any of the just the cultural cues that you learned and grew up with, your your version of handling it was that I'm just basically going to pick the things that I like and care about. We're just going to make that the norm. <laughs> yeah. For me, since I'm living a grand reset anyways, like yes. I, I may as well just do the one that I want. Exactly. And that was such a blessing because I felt so liberated. And I just remember whenever I travel back to China to visit my home and family, the the second the plane landed in the Shanghai airport and I walked out of the air, aircraft, I immediately felt like I was switched into a in completely different program and setup mm. in just instantaneously. And and I just felt, oh, I liked to be an outsider, actually. <laughs> I could be very free. <laughs> Interesting. So so what happens next is you're going through Texas Tech. I guess it's like how how did the how did the program go for you being there? You know, by US standards, like Texas Tech is very well known as as one of the leading financial planning programs, has been was one of the earliest pioneers into uh, financial planning in a college program, but how, how did how did you experience it for your for your journey? I as expected that I was good at numbers, so all the classes that involved numbers were easy for me. Okay, <laughs> and I remember the hardest class I found was the business law class <laughs> that I had to take, and and it just just such a foreign language to me because of how the business law environment is so different here than in China mm. and how uh, how many legal jargons are there <laughs> on the textbook yeah and 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 I was also at that time not fast enough to write my answers in English if okay. if the answer takes 
a few paragraphs. And so, so I, I spent a lot of time trying to make sure I get good grades from that class. And other than that, I think the transition was really pleasant um, because I was prepared. I was anticipating the differences. And aside from focusing on schoolwork, I was also hanging out with a lot of church group people. And I think the thing that I got involved with that was because of the free lunches. <laughs> I, I have to say that they have a way to, you know, to really make it easy for people to understand uh, what they are trying to help people with. And, and I started hanging out with them because I wanted to have every opportunity to understand the culture. Like I, I was the SpongeBob style of rush to like really wanted to absorb everything I can. I wanted to fit in so badly and especially knowing the the private wealth management business needs me to 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 fit in very well because I'm going to deal with all the my clients will be all these people and I needed for them to like me. I need for them to understand that I understand them. So I started to ask a lot of questions and, and they were very welcoming and they, they kept feeding me with their free lunches and kept helping me to understand their perspective. And that was the time I had a lot of fun as well. Uh, I didn't do much with um, my own belief or religion back then, but, but it did really open an opportunity for me to understand a lot more than what I didn't even know of about the culture here, about the population mm-hmm. here. And so so that was another major transition uh, for me as well. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I remember was just a lot of fun memories that how welcoming the people are. And they just opened their homes for me during Thanksgiving holidays and Christmas parties because they knew I was the only person there with our families um, coming from a different country. And so I never felt lonely, surprisingly. Like, yes, I do miss home. (laughs) I do miss my parents, but I never felt like alone. I always felt that I was surrounded by a group and a community. And I think that was probably really important for me to to develop this idea of, oh, I could see myself staying in this country. So yeah, that was my transition experience. Very positive. Interesting. So so the path ultimately was all about um, come to the U.S. because it's got this structured career track where like you get the education and then you pass the exam and then you get the experience and then like you've got the certification and you can go go get jobs from there. So so how did that play out for you in practice? You 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 went to Texas Tech to get your master's in financial planning. So what what happened as you finished the program and had to do the next step? Because I came with a clear purpose. And so I was very intentional the first day I walked into that campus. I knew I wanted to do as best as I can to accomplish all those things I came here for. And so I worked backwards. So on the very first day, I asked myself, in two years, I'm going to graduate and I'm going to need to find a job. And what the resume I wanted to be like, what are the elements needs to be on there? 
And so then I started working one after one. And a major part is internships. I knew that I needed to get as many internships as possible, as much experience as possible, so I can not only expand my network, but also have a higher chance to be hired for those companies that they may have a very positive internship experience with me. And that was one pillar. And then the other pillar was this business is is going to have a much better success for me if I can really start networking and feel comfortable networking as early as possible. And I, after I found out that our program actually takes students to those industry conferences like FPA, and I just signed up for everyone that every semester they offers. And I went there and instead of, you know, and I was my peers, I'm always out there like mingling, mixing, talking to different people and hoping to get opportunities. And that helped as well, because matter of fact, all my internship opportunities came from my networking, not so much about applying a job from a posting I saw on the internet. Because at the very beginning, I knew my hurdle. I knew that extra hurdle I need to overcome compared to my American fellows, students, that I have to show the employers that why I am worthy of them getting going one extra mile to hire me. And so 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 that focus, that intention helped me really well. And so of course I kept great grades um, from schools for every class. And I maintained uh, very good relationships with every professor that I took classes with because I also knew they could be my endorsements in, um, by the time it comes when I need my job to look for a job. And all these elements helped. And then the other thing I learned is that I needed to be involved with the communities and the organizations because that's also another channel for me to expand my network. And so I got into uh, the the student com- governing committee mm-hmm. of the Personal Financial Planning Association. Uh, it's kind of a student chapter of FPA within our department. And I served on the board for a little bit over a year. And that really helped me to understand a lot better about how to work with uh, people from different culture and, and, and also gave me a lot of exposure and opportunities to work with my professors closely, to work with some of the industry professionals closely. And so all these really served me well. By the time it came, when I was about to graduate, I had some promising opportunities that I was talking to already way before I gra- approached graduation. And that ultimately helped me to um, get my full-time, first full-time job with Ivansky and Cats. And of course, I was benefited from being uh, the teaching assistant for Harold and also for John, who is another partner. Uh, of the firm, and because I had the opportunity to 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 let them understand how 
great it would be to work with me, and and I think that played um, very well when when those potential interviewers, uh, employer interviewers, ask their opinion about me, and they said nothing but really good comments about me, and so so I was very grateful. That I was able to、um, continue the path I kind of visioned myself heading towards. To I, I am struck by just the the sheer level of intentionality that you had as you were pursuing this. Of like, you know, I I want I wanted to create more opportunities for jobs, so I went and got every internship that I could, so that I would have more experience in my resume, and then ideally. I would get internships that could even turn into a job if they wanted to hire me on full time, and I also kept good grades and good relationships with the professors. They could give me endorsements, and then when I went to conferences, I didn't hang out with the other students. I went and tried to mix and network with the advisors so I could find the internships, to find the opportunities, to leverage the endorsements to get the、uh, to get the job, and then got immersed into the community organizations like the. Student chapter of FPA to build around that experience and that and that networking as well. Yeah, I guess I I didn't think of going back to China at the time of graduation was my my option. I I felt like I had no other options because I wanted this. I came here. My parents paid so much for it. Even though I got on a teaching assistantship job the second year, so I started financially independent starting second year. I just felt like I needed to to make it happen for myself. Like I really needed to work. There's no other way that I can accept. And so, so that's probably why、uh, I was so motivated. So I have to ask: Did you did you have any concerns as you were then looking at this from the career end around language gap, culture gaps? It's it's one thing to be navigating that as a student; it's another to be navigating that when you're trying to make that your your full time job, and in theory, even more so when you're when you're trying to navigate that while building relationships with clients. That was also why I was so eager. To blend in, it's like this, you know, total different species landed in in this program and this industry, and and how can I blend in as quickly as possible? Because I wanted my future clients to feel comfortable working with me,、mm. and. And the cultural, the language are definitely very important, especially the verbal communications. And so, so I was really doing everything I could at that time to im- improve my verbal communication skills and to understand the culture as best as I can. Like I even went to the football games in Texas Tech and trying well, to read. Really- <laughs> that is a cultural experience unto itself. Exactly. Like what? What's the whole tailgating is about, right? And what are people? You know, interested here in this country or in this part of the world, and so, so yes, I did have those concerns, and I knew、um, it takes me time to get better because those things are also come coming. They came with experiences as well, and so at the same time, I was telling myself, as long as I'm heading towards that direction, I'll get there. It may just not be as quickly as I hope. But, but 
I can only focus on what I can do now, and I'm gonna do the best I can for things I can I can do now. And when tomorrow rolls around, I'll just tackle the new set of challenges. And that's sort of how it kept me going. So what was the first job? Like, what did you end out with as a first job? I landed in, actually, it's, it's Mosaic. It's the, it's the firm in San Francisco. Okay. And uh, I ran into the founder of that firm um, in one of those FPA conferences. And at that time, I was so, so motivated because that was probably a year before I graduated and I knew I needed to really start doing something to get an advisor internship. And so I literally printed my resumes and when others are walking <laughs> around the exhibit hall of uh, those conferences booths, I was uh, to look at the products, the vendors. I was literally walking around aisle by aisle with my printer resume handy <laughs> to, to hand out. <laughs> and and that founder of that firm, he also co-founded another. Uh, technology company for IPS back then. And so he was in the in the exhibit booth, one of those, and trying to represent that product. And somehow we talked and and I didn't even know what job they may provide. I just asked, okay, so are you hiring? <laughs> Here's my resume. And so so then we got connected and he didn't tell me right away He's, he's, he was also an advisor or anything like that. So all my understanding was like, oh, you created this product that advisors will use. And so if you know anybody hires, even if you are not hiring, here's my resume. And then a few weeks after the conference, he actually reached out to, to me. And at that time, I never got the email because somehow it oh, got... No. <laughs> I know you actually was- got an opportunity and got a follow up, and then you didn't get the email. <laughs> yeah, so I I went radio silent from his experience, never responded, and so he I guess I made an impression. So he actually was persistent enough to reach out to Dina, <laughs> and he was like, "Hey, I met one of your students in this conference, and I've." We are looking to hire a summer intern, and I reached out to her, but she never responded. <laughs> I felt like maybe you could help me figure out what's happening. And and then, then I realized, oh, my God, I never got this email. And I started to realize maybe I need to check all my junk emails very diligently every, uh, going forward, and which I did. And it, it turned out to be, yeah, it was caught by the spam folders so 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 i of course responded and uh, right away and then got connected with him and then that was my very first advisory internship full-time job it was a summer um of 2012 and and i i actually stayed for three months and i really learned a lot and had a blast there very cool so what happens once you get to graduation at that time, I was offered a job from Events Gang Cats first, 
And then I was also talking to a firm in Fort Worth, Dallas area. Okay. Yep. And they are also uh, in the interview. They are verbally assuring me that they are very likely are going to hire me. And but Evansky and Katz job offer came first, and I was very excited. I guess the knowledge I know about Evansky and Katz through Dina and Harold also helped me to feel very comfortable to make my decision very quickly. As soon as I heard that, oh, we are going to sponsor your work visa, that sealed the deal. I'm like, I'm not going <laughs> to wait for any other non, mm-hmm. you know, not so sure about uh, uh, kind of opportunities anymore. As soon as I heard that word, I'm like, all right, I, I said yes right away. <laughs> so, so then, you know how nowadays when 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 we look back, we'll be like, hey, you know, you might also wanted to learn about negotiating. You know, this is something you will encounter in your career. Uh, at that time, I was like, oh no, I wasn't in that situation <laughs> to negotiate. <laughs> I needed that work visa. <laughs> that was all it took. So what was what was the job? So now you're you're essentially pursuing like an entry level job. You have the education. You don't have any experience yet. Did you take the exam? Yes, I did. When I was doing my internship uh, in San Francisco, I actually took the exam that summer, uh, and uh, I passed it. And so by the time I was looking for a full time job in my last semester. I was able to put on my resume already passed the CFP exam. And that was also one of my plan because I knew I needed to to have some competitive advantage compared to other students. So I guess just from the classes and like you you had enough classes done with the first part of your program to be able to sit for the CFP exam, even though you hadn't actually finished all the classes in the program. Yes, correct. Okay. Okay. So what was the what was the first job at Evensky and Katz? They have a paraplanner um career path and then progresses into a, a planner. So very similar to a lot of the RA uh firms that they are offering some bring on somebody to be at the supporting advisor role and then groom them into a lead advisor role. But the titles were called very differently. So at Events and Cats, even though it was the equivalent of a power planner position, uh, it was named um, as financial analyst in the job title. Okay. And so so where was this? Because I know I like I know Evensky and Cats because they have some involvement with um Texas Tech, they have offices in Lubbock. So were, were, was this continuing in Lubbock or was this off to a new location? No, that was Miami because they had uh, they had more growth and uh, more needs to hire a supporting role in Miami office than the Lubbock office. Because back then, the Lubbock office was still trying to grow and be more established. And okay. they, they were... Uh, they were also able to have students going work part time for them to perform that support role. So they did not. They did not really need to hire a full time uh, support at that time. And uh, 
especially just a year before me, before my graduation, there was another girl who came from Lubbock and uh, uh, loves Lubbock, remained stayed in Lubbock, uh, was just hired as their full-time yeah. paraplanner. So they, they did not really... Uh, have opportunities to hire. And for me, I I really enjoyed my time living in Lubbock for those two, two years. But I did not think I would want to stay in Lubbock forever. Okay. So so when when they told me it's Miami, without knowing what that means, I just felt, wow, great. It's a bigger city at least. <laughs> and without being without visiting Miami before I actually moved there, I had no idea Miami could be so different. I just thought, oh, I've been to Chicago. I love it. I've been to San Francisco. I love it. I've been to Dallas. I love it. I've been to Orlando for a conference. I love it. Okay. I'm just going to love every city I go anyway. Okay. We'll go. So, so, so I guess then, so, so speaking of the dynamics of moving and transitioning to different cultures, yeah. So, so how, like, what happened with the transition when you make this shift and go to Miami? At first, I was still too excited about getting this great opportunity and and moving in and trying to explore the city. So, so at first, it was all like you know everything is new, everything is exciting, everything is great. Uh, after a few months, I started to realize, oh. It's actually different. The hospitality I I I am accustomed to by living in mm-hmm. Texas right. was not very obvious here. <laughs> mm-hmm. And not not quite the same sort of no. hospitality you get from like I said, either Baton Rouge, Louisiana, or Lubbock is not not the yeah. same when you get to Miami. Yeah, that's how I learned the the concept of southern hospitality. I was like, oh, definitely not. I'm still in the south, but not feeling that here in Miami. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the other thing I I felt was that I had never traveled to South America or Spain mm. before back then. And I knew nothing about Spanish culture. I was all over, you know, the the English culture, the English language. I, I was so busy <laughs> to blend right. in, to learn, <laughs> to become part of the group here. And I had no room or no thoughts or idea to be exposed to a third culture. Right. And that's the Latin Spanish culture. And I just never thought never saw that coming. It was not in my vision. <laughs> and so that was really a big shock for me, especially in Miami, because it's such a big city, blended in with so many different sub-Latino cultures from different parts of South America. And it was really hard for me to navigate because because I just didn't feel how and where to start. And uh, and and also I I was resistant in learning Spanish the first few years I was there because I was thinking oh I needed to <laughs> blend in the English culture here I need to right, right. continue learning English I cannot learn another language here. <laughs> so so what did you do? I did I did uh, learn a few things and uh, 
And I actually started going to a community college to learn some basic Spanish so I can at least get around going to restaurants. And uh, not restaurants on May Street, but like those, you know, very local, great yep. hidden gem type of restaurants. So at least yep. I could enjoy living here a little bit better. And so I started doing that so I can survive <laughs> without you know, relying just, on my Spanish I'm friends. St- there. I'm struck by that though. Just you know, you're like you're done with college like you're done with college and a master's degree. But you're in an environment with a high Spanish-speaking population while I learn Spanish. So you like you went back to community college to get a class on Spanish. Yeah, because I figured, you know, I needed to be basically fluent in Spanish so I can get by. <laughs> yep. Okay. And I can also understand the culture of that city better. And so that's what I did. And still, I felt there were a lot of uh differences in what I like because I think as, as you live and be exposed to different environment and cultures you start to really understand yourself better as you get more experienced and I realized that it was really important for me to live in a city that I feel the vibe is very relaxing and friendly and that was the opposite of what Miami was Miami was all about excitement, stimulations. And I do enjoy being spontaneous uh, when traveling, but I do prefer to plan out for things to do so I know what to expect. And so that was really a a difficult thing for me to um, see myself living there permanently. And the other thing was that in Miami is very international. So that was something I liked about it because I felt like everyone was coming from a different part of the world. And so no one would say, you know, you are an outsider, I'm a local, right? So so I kind of like that part about Miami. But at the same time, strangely enough, I didn't experience the ease of making friends in such an international city. I felt like a lot of the people there, they kind of have their own circles already, and they were not that eager to expand their circles. Mm. And that was really hard for me because even when I was in Lubbock and being such a different uh, person coming from a different culture in this compared to all the, in, compared to the image that people think about Lubbock, I then I felt like I I found it hard to make friends and find my circle of support and community mm-hmm. there. But that was not easy for me in Miami. And I started to think, oh, maybe, maybe it's just not for me. It, it's kind of it's kind of interesting because I have never experienced that before. And so so it became really hard. And at the same time, it was killing me because my career was progressing nicely. Right. And it was really hard for me to to consider like leaving Events Gang Cats at that time. And so so that was really difficult. So so what happened next? Like how how do you deal with cuz I'm struck all the cities and places you'd gone to sounds like all, all of them you were pretty happy with. You know, they they varied, but all of them you were pretty happy with until suddenly you get to one that's not. Yeah, I know. 
so I started to have a, a few ways to, to, to redirect my energy and frustration. And as I was progressing in my career, I thought, oh, maybe I can study more, maybe get a CFA. Because at that time, I was observing meetings, taking notes, being a support advisor, follow up afterwards. And I realized there were a lot of conversations in the meeting that are directed to investments. And as somebody coming into the industry that doesn't have advantage to chat about football, <laughs> or those or baseball right. with future clients and it doesn't have the advantage to to connect with you know the experience of growing up here from the same country and i asked myself so what 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 can i bring right to the table for them to really wanting to work with me and i realized well I'll just be really good at what i do and and so i started to think Okay, if a lot of the conversations were directed to investment topics, although I got the CFP certification already, maybe I should look into the CFA. And before, uh, a few years before that time, I had heard about how uh, challenging the CFA certification is. And so I was also a little bit scared. I was like, uh, do I really want to do this? Is it going to really benefit me? So again, when I wasn't sure what what to do, I started to work from the back end again. And so I started to think, okay, in a few years, where do I want to go? Oh, I wanted to be a lead advisor. Okay, so to be a lead advisor, what skills do I need to have? And I guess, oh, if 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 clients are talking about investments a lot and and maybe to have some more in-depth training and certification, investments probably would be more convincing for them to trust me. And so 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 after knowing what I want for that part of the reason, I decided, okay, I I'm young, my memory is still very good. I don't even have a dog. <laughs> I don't have any other distractions in life. Nothing Com- really is comfortable really comfortable bad. taking big hard tests. Yeah, comfortable. Yes, I've been trained to take, be good at taking tests. And so, so I decided to do it. And three years later, I got it. <laughs> and I was, oh, that was three years I didn't have to worry about how miserable I was living in Miami. <laughs> oh, so basically like be, being fully immersed into that was the, was the good distraction to not need to worry about yeah. much. Yeah. And, and then <laughs> three years later, now what? Because now I have all the free time back again. And and that's how I started traveling internationally. And I started to just backpack in Europe, recharge, get myself recharged every summer for about 10 days or two weeks, and then come back to Miami to be able to make it to the next big trip. And and that started that lasted for maybe two or three years. And also quickly was not sustainable. And I started to feel stuck in this loop that I kept trying to distract myself, but no distraction is sustainable. It always comes to the point that, okay, Mm. it doesn't work anymore. And so, so I remember I had that awakening moment when, when I was traveling on the street of Berlin around 3 a.m., 
before I was about to catch the return flight back to Miami, all of a sudden I asked myself, "I'm feeling so happy right now, and why is that?" And and the thinking about catching the flight back to Miami, even that thought immediately start to make me feel dreadful. And why is that? And I have at that time I have heard enough. Theories from all kinds of personal development books talking about hey mindset and perception is really what determines determines、um, your experience what your experience is and and I ask myself you know what maybe this is an opportunity to test that theory to see if it actually works that way or not <laughs> what to lose here <laughs> I'm kind of still in a situation that I cannot leave Miami right away. Because I got a great career going on there now, and I was also in the middle of my immigration process, and so okay, you know, for the time that I will stay in Miami, and I felt like I deserve to live there happy every day.、Uh, it doesn't. I I'm not sure how 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 much longer I'll be there, but my career is going on great. I really love it, and I just don't want to leave. Because of some reasons that I couldn't reconcile myself, and so so I started just give it a try, and surprisingly things starts to shift when when your perspective shifted, and I instead of complaining why I don't like Miami to friends and families, I started to look for what are what Miami is offering me that other cities may not be able to offer me, and so. Just that little mindset shift change started to allow me to enjoy living there a lot better, and that's how I got into yoga because the weather is warm all year round. And so, as 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 I started to get to know better about myself, about all these things professionally, I started to realize that it might be time for me to start a new journey. Uh, again, I I started to work backwards、um, because it was hard to leave because I got very comfortable、yeah. doing what I was doing, and everything was just so easy f- at work for me. And <laughs> clients love me, and I love them, especially some clients I feel really connected with. And I started to fall in love with Miami. I see myself, you know, have, having a blast there, and it starts to get get hard when when I. Have a new challenge、uh, developed, and so, so, so I ask myself, okay, so in a few years, where do I see myself? And I'm like, oh, I wanted to be a lead advisor. I wanted to be, you know, in an environment that the team culture, the values, the long term vision are aligned with what I think is the best for me. And、uh, and then I started to think, okay, so how can I get there? So, so was the concern like? Did you not have a? Did you not feel like you had a path to lead advisor at the firm that you were that you were at? They did have a career path for any support advisor to be progressive to the lead advisor, which they call it wealth manager. There was a career path, but I felt there was probably a misalignment of expectations、uh, about. The speed of the career path. Okay. And、uh, when I was going through my immigration process, 
I, 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 I was very fearful about, you know, creating conflicts or creating difficult conversations. So I tried my best to minimize everything that I think potentially may be conf- conflict, conflicting. And so, so I wasn't speaking up early enough when I felt uh, what I wanted in my career and, and asking for, for help to design a path that may be more aligned with what I think I can accomplish uh, versus what they had in their mind about my career progression. And so, so a few years go by, went by, and by the time I felt I was really uh, hitting the seating, hitting the limit to be patient, uh, I, I started to realize this probably is the time that I needed to um, do something about it. And so I started trying to communicate, but I think the, the, the misalignment of expectations probably is, um, is, is not some small gap that I can overcome or that I would see myself uh, to, to be able to work with. And so therefore, I, I just decided to do something different. So, so where, like, where did you ultimately go and how did you pursue the transition? So then COVID hit. So that threw a mm. lot of complications uh, in, for everyone back then. So we started working from home. And, and I think it was really the, the, the COVID time, the quarantine, the, the, the situation that the world is now upside down really made me or really pushed me to think about it, what I really want in a few years for myself. Where do I see myself going to? And so so that really accelerated the whole process for me to get more clar- clarity with the direction I want to go to and also um, got me more motivation to start doing uh, things that I felt like I have control of uh, to get myself to that end. And so, so what I started doing was I first started to list uh, what are the things and values that are important for me um, to look for if I was to go to the next opportunity because we are in the relationship building business. And I don't want to, you know, jump around, oh, it doesn't work. And then two years later, right, again, right, right. that's not efficient. And and based on my experience with building relationships with clients, uh, events and cats, I just felt like it would be really best for the clients, for me, and also for my career progression if I'm more diligent upfront choosing what I'm getting into next. And so with that mindset, I started actively looking out for opportunities and networking. And because of COVID, so I couldn't really do the networking I was doing before. And so I just started um, doing it virtually as, you know, how everything was moving to virtual. Uh, same thing with, with, with the, the job search. So, right. so I started looking at LinkedIn and I started looking at um, other websites like the CFP, the NAPA, NAFA. And then I also started 
uh, networking because back then I was serving as a president of the FPA Miami chapter. And so that allowed me to be able to still expand my exposure uh, to a lot of professionals uh, of their, their network as well. So at least I get to um, right. increase my my likelihood to really um, get the opportunity that I want uh, next that would be ideal for me. And so, so there were a lot of different companies I talked to and, and a lot of conversations I had formally or informally with, with different mentors I, I have in the industry. And after about six to seven months of really intentional efforts, things starts to come back in fruition. And I, and it was also stressful too, because it was another time to reassess myself and to rethink that I thought this might be important to me, but is it really important to me? And so, so that's why that process took longer because every time I had a formal or informal interview with a firm or a person, it gave me some new information about the industry and it gave me something new that I have to think about. Okay, do I need to adjust my course accordingly or not? And so so it took a little bit longer than I hoped, but in the end, it worked out very well with me, uh, for me and, and I was so happy to be connected uh, with the company here that I'm working for. And I really felt Austin is a great city for me to see myself here uh, for, for a very long time. And so what, what firm did you land in and what, what role did you end up with? So the company I'm working for is Austin Asset, and uh, my role is the lead advisor. And so you couldn't you couldn't get a clear enough path where you were, but ultimately by changing firms, you just actually got the lead advisor yeah. seat you wanted outright. <laughs> yes, I I was speaking to a lot of other firms, and they always wanted me to maybe start with a more supportive advisor role and maybe groom me into it, and and I just had you know a very crystal clear um, preference that I have being a support advisor long enough that I I felt I'm ready for it and I wanted to be ready for it and I wanted to be in an environment with a company that see that in me and believes in me and so so yeah and and how long were you at the prior firm like building that experience in the support role before getting the opportunity for the the lead role it was from 2013. I started with them, and I left Miami in 2021. So, so 13, eight. 21, yeah, eight years. Eight years. Okay. So what surprised you the most about because building your career as an advisor relative to the career track you were expecting when you saw it on the CFP board website all those years ago? Mm-hmm. I had always felt that I needed blending to be mm. successful at this business. Actually, I think I am in a very fortunate timing to be able to embrace my differences and still will be successful. And I think that was something I never saw it would evolve like this. And that's great news because yeah. 
I feel so comfortable right now. Uh, I may still not be able to, you know, connect with some clients on baseball or football, but or some of the shows they watched, you know, when they grew up, because I did not watch those right. shows or listen to those music. But but I felt like the fundamental needs about those clients are really wanting to be able to trust somebody and also wanting to be able right. to like their advisor and be able to be genuinely authentically heard and not being judged. And I felt like this doesn't really have a language barrier or have a cultural barrier because that's pretty much we all share as human beings. We all want that part, want that stuff. So what was the low point for you on this journey? The low point probably was the times that I had to navigate through all these challenges that I did not anticipate in Miami at my prior firm, both personally and professionally. Hmm. I think one of the low points I felt was that I I started with my prior firm as a paraplanner role coming out of college and trying to be as supportive as possible to do my job. And I have become a very good support advisor. Uh, and otherwise, they would not keep me for eight years there right. and sponsored me to finish the whole immigration process, which I'm very grateful of. Um, so so I, as I started to grow, I felt that it, it was a low point for me to realize or at least how I perceived the feedback I got um, maybe indirectly was that it was really hard for, um, for, 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 for my growth and my, my skill sets to be seen and perceived by them to really, you know, change that original image of me, that being this great supportive financial analyst so so you kind of got stuck in the because you came in as a as a paraplanner and analyst and you were so good at being a paraplanner and an analyst they seem to have trouble seeing you move to a different role i don't think they 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 have trouble seeing me moving to a different role um it they were very happy to help me to grow into a different role that i wanted to go to I think it just that the misalignment of expectations made me feel that they probably were not even aware themselves that I have outgrown mm-hmm. a lot quicker than uh, what they might have in, in plan with, uh, for me or they right. might see among others that has grown from my role to the next. So anything else that, you know, you... You know now that you wish you could go back and tell you 10 or 15 years ago as you were like finishing your accounting degree and found that CFP website and was thinking about this as a career? Like, What do you know now you wish you could tell yourself from back then? I would try to tell myself to have more confidence in myself um, because a lot of times when you are trying to go to a new environment, take on a new challenge, doing something new, experimenting something new, because of the lack of knowledge and experience, it's very intuitive and easy for us to feel not as confident in ourselves yeah. and not as not sure about ourselves. And 
And in retrospect, looking from now to the time that I started this journey, I felt I had a lot more to 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 feel comfortable and confident with myself that I knew about myself back then. Mm. And so 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 that would be something if I were to do it all, all over again, I probably would hope that could be a little bit different. And then because that ties to me not feeling comfortable enough to speak up when I feel there may be some misalignment in expectations. Right. Because I wasn't feeling as confident. I was still trying to get there and 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 I just didn't have all the knowledge I have now. And so so that would be something probably would turn out a lot better if I was more confident. And and that ties also to really be my own champion of my own career development instead of expecting or waiting for others to see your, your growth, your progressive progression. And so, so that was the first big lessons I learned, and I would hope that I had knew back then. And the other thing would be uh, really to um, have more empathy and a gratitude about everything that happens in life, mm-hmm. professionally and personally. Like there's, like we could all use a little, a little bit more of that from time to time. Yeah, like the thing that you know, there's a quote that say. Everything is happening for you, not to you. And it's hard to believe in that when you are in the midst of all these struggles and challenges. But my experience has told me when, when, when I move forward and look back in retrospect, it has always been true that if I had not experienced that, I probably wouldn't be here. If I didn't struggle right. this, I probably wouldn't know that. And so, so that was really... A profound lesson I learned, and it, it just really is something I always try to remind remind myself again because I now also experience and have new challenges here too, yeah. and maybe it's not yet. I don't know yet, but I'm sure <laughs> there will be. And so I just yeah. wanted to um, be able to navigate better and more skillfully uh, than ten years ago or maybe five years ago. So, any other advice you would give to younger, newer advisors who you're getting started today and want to be in that lead advisor position eight years from now? I I think um, one thing probably is important that served me well is really to have have a vision or ask yourself where do you see yourself going or where do you want yourself going in a few years and. And hopefully that would provide a lot of clarity for the decisions that we may have to make at that time. And so, so that has served me well. And so I hope this could also be something helpful for the others. And the other thing I, I also wanted to share uh, that hopefully is helpful for others is that um, focus on what we can control because that is pretty much everything in life. There's, and that's also the exciting part yeah. of life is that we always are going to have something we can be in control of, but something we don't have full control of at the same time. And so f- try to tune out the noises and then focus on what you can and l- just 
really have that abundance mindset to hope for the best. And I think things will find to the right places. Well, I think you had a powerful example of that for turning around the negative Miami experience of just saying, well, what are the things that are actually unique in Miami that I can enjoy here? Yeah. Let's go do more of those. Yeah. And that was really helpful in my personal development because I I have developed so much more appreciation of everywhere I go. So as we wrap up, this is a, a podcast about success. And just one of the themes that always comes up is the, the word success means different things to different people. So you're on this wonderful career path of success now and got gotten to the lead advisor role that you you were working towards. And so the career is going so well. How do you define success for yourself at this point? I actually did a life planning <laughs> a few years ago and that also brought me to the journey to uh, get my get trained as a registered life planner uh, to work with clients. And so so from that process I went through, I realized that for me, success is really having good balance of everything that I want to accomplish in life, not just professionally, but also in personal lives. And so continue to develop and learn new things. Um, so yoga was something that I, I learned and I got very into it mm. out of my experience living in Miami. And I just feel so happy to have that hobby now and the same thing that I am now stepping into a brand new experience which is to have a puppy and raise a puppy on my own I I never grew up with dogs and I never had dogs before and so so I was so overwhelmed and I it took me a year to really make that decision and so so that that is whenever you know I'm confused and puzzled of what I need to do I always come back to look at my 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 definition of you know how to live a successful life and then one of the things that would align with my values is really trying always trying to do something new and so so then despite how much trouble that I may get into <laughs> by raising a new puppy on my own uh, I I I just decided to do it and and I felt motivated and and have more clarity because of that and then also, I wanted to see myself to be a great positive experience and influence for others around me and uh, have a family of my own in the future and just experience life to the fullest in this kind of simulation game. <laughs> you know, you, you, you probably don't want it and, to. And, and hope that we don't wake up and find out it's all the Matrix. <laughs> I know. I I. I just think it's so magical, right? Like you kind of can be a co-driver or co-director of your own life. And that's kind of the power of it. And then you also live through the life, the consequences that you might co-create. And knowing that, I think the success would be that always be aware and mindful of where you are heading to and, and, and take responsibilities, take ownership of where your life is heading to and and enjoy being the co-driver. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Denshin, for joining us on the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. Thank you, Michael. Really appreciate it. 
Want even more ideas, tools, and resources on how to break through to the next level of success as a financial advisor? Check out the leading financial planning industry blog, Nerd's Eye View, at www.kitsis.com, where Michael covers the latest practice management trends and financial planning strategies. And by joining the members section, you can earn IMCA and CFP continuing education credits, along with exclusive member content. Get it all now at www.kitsis.com.